Ever since the first tick-tock of time You brought order to a world undefined Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Our teaching teaching team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion, to which which our community community responds with curiosity, courage, and a desire to to expand expand in faith, faith, hope, and love. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary, and we follow the church calendar, because because they they anchor us in something something which can hold us, no matter what life throws our way. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us. Everywhere. Cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. Scripture readings from Matthew 15, verses 21 through 28. And Jesus left that place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And just then a Canaanite woman from that region came out and she started shouting, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. Oh, my daughter's tormented by a demon. But Jesus didn't answer her at all. And his disciples came and they urged him saying, Jesus, send her away. Ah, she keeps shouting after us. Jesus answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. Jesus answered, it's not fair to take the children's food and just throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus answered her, woman, Great is your faith, and let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. Hmm. The sometimes weird and wonderful word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hey, good morning. I'm Kara Verhage. I'm the ministry director here at Genesis, and it's my privilege to get to Um, do the teaching time with you today. We're not going to do our typical all plays throughout the sermon where I'll stop and pause, but if things pop up um, in terms of questions you have or total disagreements you have with me on something, um, feel free to um, put that in the comment section of our Facebook watch party. So I've loved Jesus like as long as I can remember. Like I've loved this idea that God comes down and he walks alongside his creation in the person of Jesus. Love the miracles, find it hilarious when nobody seems to understand what he's talking about in the gospels. The way he flipped ideas and religious beliefs and tables. Even the injustice and sham of a trial and his eventual murder are all compelling, so compelling. And as hard as I've struggled with the larger Christian church and Christians specifically over the years, I've always been able to center myself in the person of Jesus. Always. But this story is tough. This story is tough. 
I've been walking metaphorically with the Canaanite woman a lot this week, whether out on our morning walks or playing with Freya or sewing with masks. I've been meditating on this interaction of Jesus and the disciples and the woman. I'd love to share with you a little bit of what I found in the text, what I've heard from other voices, and what the Holy Spirit might be bringing to mind for you today. Will you pray with me before we start? Gracious God, walk alongside us as we engage with scripture. Fill us with honest questions in gratitude for the community you have brought together and the way your Holy Spirit teaches, guides, and inspires. Amen. A little background before we get to the story of the woman um, and Jesus. Jesus has been teaching and healing in Galilee. He's fed the 5,000. He's um, walked on water. He's heard um, that John the Baptist has been murdered. He hasn't been well received in his hometown, and he kind of gets into some squabbles with the Pharisees. My favorite part of the verses um, preceding our pericope today is the one where one of the disciples tells Jesus, you know those Pharisees were ticked off at you, right? He leaves the area. He moves to the region of Tyre and Sidon, northeast of Galilee, which is right on the water, looking out over the Mediterranean. Here's a quick footnote that um, the Greek that I'm going to mention in the, in the next few moments, um, that study work comes from a guy named D. Mark Davis. Um, I'm not doing that exegesis myself, friends. But uh, <clears throat> first, as we're looking at him moving and going on this, this trip into Tyre and Sidon, the Greek word anoraheo, anoraha? I don't know. We're going to go with the fact that the Greek word here, used in verse 21, means to go away or to withdraw. It's likely Jesus was looking for some respite, perhaps after those troublesome encounters with the Pharisees that I mentioned in the earlier accounts. And as they're traveling, they're approaching the border, and a Canaanite woman comes out yelling for help for her daughter. The Greek word verb here is kratzo. And in verse 23, that's translated as to cry out or to shriek. Matthew uses this term throughout his gospel for <clears throat> the verb attached to the blind men, to demons, to Peter sinking in the sea, to the crowds calling out for Jesus' death, and even in Jesus' own last breath as he cries out. But Jesus, he doesn't reply to this woman who is crying out and shrieking for help for her daughter. The disciples ask him to send her away. She keeps petitioning. Jesus says he's not there for those outside the house of Israel, and she keeps begging. Jesus calls her a dog. She offers a quick turn of phrase, a little wit there, and he tells her she has great faith, and it will be done as she wishes. Easy peasy Bible study, right? So what does this description of the Canaanite woman mean to us? Well, first it tells us she's a Gentile. <clears throat> There's, there are these deep-seated historical biases that date back all the way to the time of Noah between the Jews and the Canaanites. And any first century Jew is going to see a Canaanite woman as an outsider and likely not to be trusted. We also know she's a woman, first century Women are not supposed to be running after men, especially men they don't know. 
and being shrill, shrieking. Um, she's engaging in this socially unacceptable behavior for a first century woman. And so she's got a lot of strikes against her here. She really epitomizes the other, and yet she still approaches him. She still comes to Jesus. Interpreting this encounter <clears throat> and what it means for us, it usually falls into three kind of schools of thought. The first would be that Jesus is testing her, giving her the opportunity to show humility, to subjugate herself, the ability to show persistence in seeking healing for her daughter. Essentially, how badly does she want her daughter healed? <clears throat> Secondly, it could be that Jesus is intentionally articulating the racist viewpoints of his own people and then turns everything on its head by healing the woman at the end. Reminds me a little bit about like when Stephen Colbert was on the Colbert Report and he was, you know, pretending he was this far right wing Republican in order to, through satire, kind of show his take on what he felt was the absurdity of um, that particular worldview. So then in doing so, Jesus would be acting to show the ridiculousness of refusing to heal a child just because of her status. So he's teaching a lesson. Maybe when he calls her a dog, he has a little twinkle in his eye. Like there's more going on here than you think. These interpretations are both widely held and they definitely reflect a worldview that Jesus was using this opportunity to say something bigger is going on here. For me, I tend to have a bit of a hard time as you kind of push these interpretations a bit. For me, it feels a little callous for Jesus to ignore and refuse and insult a desperate, grieving mother. The idea of him testing her or even saying harsh words to her, pretending they aren't harsh or um, still feels out of out of the bounds of what I would think Jesus would do as an intentional act. One of the most difficult parts of the story is Jesus's use of the word dogs. I'd like to say the Greek here in verse 26, and yet I know it's going to sound not at all accurate. So um, there's little way to take this phrase dogs positively. Even though the Greek here, it, it's in a diminutive form, which would mean more like puppies. <clears throat> puppies in first century, first century were not puppies the way we would treat them today with cute sweaters and homemade food, which no judgment, because I do that for our dogs. Dogs in this time were seen as unclean and capable of causing harm. So I, I see there's a, there's a third option for interpretation here, <clears throat> which, spoiler alert, is kind of the one that I prefer. In this story, we could consider that Jesus was the product of his own human and cultural bias. And the protagonist here is the Canaanite woman. Now, before you send concerned emails to the elders that the staff is preaching straight heresy, just hear me out. Maybe Jesus was having a bad day. I mean, we've all been there, right? We're human, and Jesus is human. I don't often think about Jesus being that human, though, to be honest. I mean, it's great when it's like he's this cute little baby in the manger, and 
thinking how awesome it is that God would come down and inhabit this tiny little baby. Beyond that, I guess I don't really think about Jesus as being human all that much. Or if he got sweaty or cried or got tired or annoyed or pooped. But Jesus was both fully human and fully divine. And perhaps this is the reason he first ignores the woman. Perhaps this is the reason that he tells her she's not in the chosen group for healing. Perhaps this is the reason that he insults her. And perhaps that divinity is part of the reason he finally relents. I love this approach by Dr. Will Gaffney in her own exposition on this passage. <clears throat> she says, you might be thinking, I can believe in the incarnation, but this Jesus seems a little too human. But to be human is not actually a bad thing, I would say from experience. For to be human is to be made in the image of God with something of her capacity to love. And to be human is to learn and grow and change, to open our hearts and minds, expand our beliefs and relinquish our biases. I believe that Jesus shares some of this with us or else he wouldn't be fully human. In this interpretation, then, we see this role reversal. Jesus' humanity on display with the woman cast in the role of the teacher. Jesus rebuffs her, and she is persistent. Jesus then tells her her faith is great, which parallels, interestingly, with last week's um, message where Jesus tells Peter he has little faith. And the woman's daughter is healed. <clears throat> it's entirely impossible it's entirely possible, even if a little bit scandalous, that Jesus was caught in his own cultural biases or, or that he had a limited understanding of what God's plan was. Perhaps he did believe he was only there for Israel's sake. Perhaps he grew to understand more of the scope of ministry as he ministered. If we can hold on to this hope that Jesus is both fully human and fully divine, can we also hold out that hope that Jesus could learn and change and grow? As he is confronted with this woman, the other, he is compelled to consider a wider scope of God's mercy. A more inclusive view of the kingdom of God than perhaps even he understood at the time. There's this shift that takes place in the book of Matthew where the from this woman's um, place in the scripture. Jesus, prior to this in Matthew 10, sends out the disciples and he's really clear. It's like, do not go to the Gentiles. And then by the end of the chapter, in chapter, or end of the book in chapter 28, with the Great Commission, he sends the disciples out into all the world. Maybe that was the plan all along. And maybe this woman was used to be able to um, teach Jesus to expand that vision. I find the description of her faith as great, so intriguing. She came to Jesus probably as a last resort. She stood up against these cultural, ethnic, and gender obstacles. And perhaps it's this courage to ask that, and her utter dependence on Jesus that makes her faith great. Judith Gundry Wolf writes that the Canaanite woman believes that divine mercy here knows no bias or bounds, and that this woman fully believes that Jesus will show this kind of mercy. As she expresses her faith in him, he begins to believe 
that this mercy is unbounded. She knows that even crumbs of mercy from Jesus would be enough, and Jesus rewards her faith. She stakes her claim that her daughter needs healing and that she knows this Jesus can do exactly, precisely what she heard that he can do. Consider these words from Jan Richardson in this poem she wrote entitled, Stubborn Blessings. I'm saying I know what you can do with crumbs, and I am claiming mine. Every morsel and scrap that you have up your sleeve, unclench your hand, your heart. Let the scraps fall like manna, like mercy, for the life of my child and the life of the world. Please do not tell me no. So what, what does this mean for us? I believe, you know, that we can kind of find three main conclusions out of um, this interpretation of the, in this story. The first, that God's mercy and compassion extends further than we could imagine or hope for. Secondly, if we respond as Jesus did, we can still learn and grow. And lastly, the example of the Canaanite woman shows us what it means to have great faith. First, as Jesus shows us in the story, the mercy of God is more inclusive than exclusive. That there really was every earthly reason to keep this woman on the outside. In her own story of becoming open and affirming of LGBTQIA plus individuals, Sarah Bessie shows how this particular scripture with the Canaanite woman was crucial in her own shift towards a more all-encompassing view of the kingdom of God an understanding of a very active and merciful God. And she writes so beautifully, these sorts of stories, like the Canaanite woman in the Gospels, they can bother us if we believe that God is unmovable. But the whole of Scripture shows us something so different. A God who is moved by compassion. A God who can be persuaded. A God who responds. And a God who is moving towards us always. Secondly, a fully human Jesus means that we can see ourselves mirrored in his actions. We all engage in othering people. We create boundaries and walls based on class and race, sexuality, gender, religious beliefs, and we've inherited biases no matter how woke we might feel. Have you ever experienced an expansion of those boundaries in your life? I know I've held some pretty firm lines in the sand in my life. I would say like the circle of welcome is very small at, at uh, certain points in my journey. Certainly when it came to who's in and who's out in the church and the family of God. But the more that I engaged with the other, the more that I was open to um, understanding the reality of the Imago Dei, the image of God inherent in each person that I met, that I relegated to the outside, the more I had to shift and move those margins outwards. The voice of the Canaanite woman calls through this text, Lord, have mercy on me. And like Jesus, we could get it wrong. But we can also see like Jesus in this story that we can make it right and that we can get it right the next time. We can see in Jesus the example of what it means to accept the plea of another and to change our minds, 
to pause and consider power, power differentials at play and to choose the ever-widening circle of compassion and God's mercy. And lastly, even if we aren't sure about what this story says about Jesus, perhaps we can look to the Canaanite woman and see what of ourselves we can find reflected there. About the nature of great faith as a desperate certainty that God is a God of mercy. And as a result of that, are we bringing to God with deep urgency our needs and our brokenness that we believe that God might be able to fix or heal? Do we believe that this God of an ever-widening mercy can include us? Do we believe it can welcome us and heal us? Prayer feels like a natural connection to this woman's story. Her pleas for Jesus are in real time. And in our age, prayer serves as a primary means of relationship and connection and communication with the Creator. In real talk here, I struggle mightily with prayer. I feel like I waver, sometimes even in the same day, between this absolute certainty that prayer is powerful and effective, crying out like a Pentecostal woman for God's justice to wash over us. And later that day, I'll be chatting with somebody and they'll say, I'm praying for you. And inside I'm thinking, oh, thanks. I, I don't know that that'll do any good. May, Lord, may the Lord give me the strength of this Canaanite woman to chase God down, to cry out for the healing, and to claim that mercy that would cover even me. I know we didn't have all plays as usual today, but I have a couple questions for you to ponder as you go forth this week. And if you already have some answers to them, you're welcome to put them in the comment section of the watch party. So my questions to you this morning. How are we opening up our table? How are we looking at the boundaries we've established or the ones we've inherited? The traditions that feel comfortable to us, that center us. How are we doing that and considering the other as part of that? We live in this increasingly hostile country with these ever shrinking circles of welcome. Perhaps we could employ the notion of double vision. In the book, Exclusion and Embrace, Miroslav, Miroslav Volf, a little tongue twister there, he talks about how double vision is where we can stand within our own place, our own tradition, and try to learn from others outside of it. Where we can see both with our own eyes and allow ourselves to see through the perspective of someone else. I notice a lot of that here at Genesis. There's this kind of generosity and curiosity in thought and word. And I'm so grateful for that. And I want to continue to push us to ask, how is God helping each of us to enlarge our view of the kingdom of God? And how are we willing to be taught by those considered other, even and especially those that we might consider outside of our boundaries of society, and of the church. Can we consider Jesus in a new way today? Perhaps in a more fully and more divine way. The changeable God means that we are able to change as well. And lastly, can you see yourself as the Canaanite woman, ready to persist 
claiming God's promises, ready to stand in those places where we need to push out the boundaries of inclusion, ready to claim mercy from the God who so freely gives it. May God grant us the courage to be people of great faith, that we might trust the creator of all there is who brings mercy and compassion to all. Amen. Time and time again throughout the age Endings are a place where life is Thank you for listening to the Genesis West podcast. If, if you, you find, find yourself, yourself nearby, nearby on Sunday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. We meet at Elon Church Center in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. If you, if have, you have any, any questions or would like to connect with us, please visit us at www.genesiscove.org.